0: If you're on the church's prayer uh, email list, uh, by the way, if you're not and would like to be, uh, get that information to me. I'll be glad to add you to that. But if you're on the church's uh, announcement email list or prayer list, um, you know that I've sent out a couple of emails the last few days uh, asking for several things, asking you to be in prayer about the new series that will begin this morning. asking us to be faithful to attend, if at all possible, during this series, and asking us to be very open and honest before God as we consider these thoughts. Part of the, and and a lot of what I'll share with you over the next several weeks is not necessarily uh, brand new with me, Uh, I I read and study and compile and share with you and so a a lot of this uh, information I'm getting from uh, other sources but uh, some of that which I've been reading lately is described the United States using terms like epidemic I want you to think about that for a minute. The mere word epidemic seems to strike fear because it speaks of uh, a time of great loss and of a time of a very serious nature when I first began to read this, I thought, ah, this is somebody that's making something a lot bigger than it need be. And the more I've thought about it, the more I've prayed about it, the more I've asked God to lead me, the more I've begun to realize that uh, he is right. And for that reason, I've entitled this morning's message with the title that I have, It Has Become a Matter of Life or Death. I want that to sink in for a moment. It has become a matter of life or death. A lot of churches today are facing death. A lot of them have already died and just don't know it yet. And a lot of them are just slowly waiting until that time when they can no longer keep the doors open. And it concerns me. Now let me just say this up front. I understand and I believe the word of God and the perpetuity of the church and I do not believe that there will ever come a day that the Lord does not have one of his churches on this earth until he calls her home. But that don't mean every one of them are going to survive. And to be honest, faith, I believe, and I'll label it as my belief, our response to the next several Sunday morning's messages are going to make the difference whether we survive or not. Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and we'll begin to consider this morning. It has become a matter of life or death and in case you think these are just the ramblings of this preacher that's gone crazy remind you what brother steve butler said last week do y'all remember one of the things that he said that was such a pleasure and a joy to see as he stood here and looked at you he said there's actually people out there he said we go to so many churches now running eight twelve and that number last church that i pastored i've been in contact uh, not that i'm going back or anything but just in contact with some friends That church used to run two and three hundred. While I was there, it would run around a hundred for a while. Last few Sundays, less than twenty. It's not in a particular denomination. It's not in a particular style, traditional or contemporary. Across the board, churches are scratching their head trying to figure out what's going on. It has become a matter of life or death. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you will begin reading with me in verse 8, I I wanted to read the entire chapter, but I've got so much I want to share with you today, and I knew that uh, that would be a mistake. So I I would plead with you sometime, go back and read this chapter, uh, and and understand what's going on. Paul, the author of this particular book, this letter, is writing to a a young person, pastor who is looking to Paul to be his mentor if you will the young pastor is Timothy and he's pastoring the church at Ephesus and and he's there and this church at Ephesus is a very unique church uh, lots of problems there at Ephesus, and so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's trying to encourage him, and exhort him, and remind Timothy of what his job is. And Paul is literally, while he's penning this letter, he is what is uh, is confined in what is known as, and really is a, a infamous prison. It is the Mamertine prison. If you're not familiar with that term, go back and Google it. Mamertine, M A M E R T I N E, Mamertine prison. He is there, and I believe he knows that the day he walks out of that prison, it will only be because he walks to his execution. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4 of this same letter, he basically tells Timothy, that which is going to end up in my death has already started. And so Paul's sitting in this, this, this infamous prison where, where the, the, the city sewage would run through the cells. He knows that he's not going to walk out of here except for to go to his execution. And he's not lamenting. He's not saying, oh, poor woe is me. He's not saying, oh, what a terrible world in which we live in. He is not uh, uh, complaining to God about, you know, God, I don't understand why you let this happen to me. Instead, what he's doing is he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, you need to do your duty like a good soldier. Go back in the early part of the chapter and you'll see that. We have gotten so used to soft sermons and stuff that makes us feel good. And I think the day is come and gone when God's men need to start getting behind this pulpit once again and reminding God's people, you have a duty. Do your duty. Do that which God has commanded us to do. Do that which is our joy to do. Do that which will make a change and a difference in the life in which we live. Do your duty, Timothy. Like a good soldier, if it means you have to go into battle, if it means you're going to be captured, if it means you're going to be arrested, if it means you're going to suffer hardship, do your duty, Timothy. And he's going to give him several things in chapter 2 that are motivating factors to do your duty. And the one that I want us to focus on this morning begins in verse 8. And it is the power of the word of God. In verse 8, Timothy is encouraging Timi- uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy to do your duty and he says this. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Skip down to verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive but to be gentle unto all men. Mark those phrases. You must be gentle unto all men. You must be apt or capable to teach you must be patient, you must continue the work in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. It's time to do our duty. It is time to go to a world and remind them that right now the devil already has a hold of them and to be gentle among them, to be patient among them, to do our duty, to carry the message. And it might be that God will use that and they might come to the freedom of Christ. But in chapter eight, I mean in verse eight and nine, Peter says uh, Peter says, "Paul says, I, "I'm enchained. I have served the Lord, and it's brought me to the point where I am chained." But he goes on and he says this: "I may be chained. they might stop my mouth, but get this: the word of God is not." chained they can't stop the word of god baptist people all over the world churches all over the world have forgotten the simple truth all the powers of hell all the powers of government all the powers that say you can't do this and you can't do this they can't stop the Word of God. In fact, in verse 9, when he says the Word of God is not bound, he uses the perfect tense in the Greek language, which simply means this, the Word of God has not been bound, and it remains unbound today. He said, you can chain me, but you can't change this book. Chain this book. Even when Jesus was here, they chained him, didn't they? They arrested him and put him in prison. They silenced him by putting him to death. But you cannot silence this book and you cannot chain this book. In fact, Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 says this, So shall my word be that uh, goes out from my mouth. It shall not return unto me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I send it. God has promised my word cannot be stopped. I will send it forth and it will do what I intend it to do. Now, here's the thing we've got to understand. The Word of God's prime and and, and foundational purpose is to convict us of sin and point us to God. The Word of God will always do that. It will never fail in that purpose. The Word of God may not change everybody to believe the Word of God because it must be met with faith. But the Word of God's first purpose is to get them to understand there is a need and get them to understand that need is only met in Jesus. When they meet it with faith, then the Word of God fulfills the rest of its purposes. But the Word of God does not fail when a sinner rejects it by a lack of faith. The sinner has failed because he rejected the Word of God from that lack of faith. But the Word of God is going to do, and that's what Paul's saying. Timothy, do your work. Do your duty. Why? Well, because the Word of God is powerful. You can't stop it. Timothy, go do what you're supposed to do. But we're going to look over the next several weeks, some of these key ingredients. The patience, the ability to teach. Some of these things that we're going to look much greater detail Beginning in 2015, there is a group called Answers in Genesis. Some of you may be very familiar with that. They do a great job in literature. If you're looking for literature, that's a wonderful place to start, whether you're looking for literature for your own home, a Sunday school class, or something of that nature. But in 2015, Answers in Genesis wanted to know if we invested the time and the money and and everything to build a a, a full-size, life-size ark, would people come to it? So Answers in Genesis contracted with America's research group to conduct this survey as well as several other surveys would enough people come and they had decided that to make it really worthwhile and so forth and to ensure that it would continue on they would need at least 1.4 million people America's research group began to ask thousands and thousands would you come would you come And they projected to answer answers in Genesis if you will build the ark that within such and such date you will have your uh, 1.4 millionth person. What's fascinating is they missed it by 48 hours. They were only off by 48 hours. The survey said if you will build it on this date you should have one point four million. By the way, the 48 hours was ahead of schedule, not behind schedule. So I want you to understand, these are not numbers that I sat and I dreamed up last night in a dream. The numbers and the charts that I'm going to show you are all from uh, the surveys that that, uh, the America Research Group did that, that answered some of the answers in Genesis' questions, and also the George Barna Group did some of these surveys. Let me just share with you some of the answers that they found this one we already know the darker charts represent the united states of america the dark uh, the lighter charts the rest of the world united states of america has more has the largest number of, of Christian institutions, of churches, of seminaries. They have the largest resource uh, available to them, the largest media presence throughout the world uh, or throughout its uh, borders. Here in the United States, we have the greatest opportunity of all to be, as they would say, making hay while the sun's shining. We have so much at our disposal and have had and yet are we not the nation that because of moral relativism we're no longer allowed to say Merry Christmas are we not the nation now that because of pluralism is no longer allowed to put up nativities or display the Ten Commandments are we not the nation now where people are offended if you mention the name God if you speak of God, do they not sit there and say, well, which God are you talking about? As a nation, we have so much that has been readily available to us. And here's the scary thing, y'all. It has been during that time that our nation has begun to plummet. And that worldview of God's people even has begun to change. Some of these are going to be, I hope, alarming uh, charts and graphs to you. And so that you will understand how this worked, uh, the uh, America Research Group went out and they questioned thousands of individuals from coast to coast. I believe it was 22,000 from coast to coast for some of the other, not on the 1.4 billion, obviously, but on some of these other surveys. They talked to 22,000. They targeted 20 to 29. If you're between 20 and 29, raise your hand real quick. All right. Pay attention, because this, this has everything in the world to do with you. 22,000, peoples, uh, 22,000 people from coast to coast, they balanced it according to age, they balanced it according to gender, and they even made sure not to get a whole bunch of nothing but homeschoolers or a whole bunch of this particular political party or a whole lot from this or that and the other. They tried to cross all cultural ba- uh, boundaries. They tried to co- uh, cross, get a good you know, cross-cut sample of, of, of the world. And they wanted to know how many of you, 20 to 29 years of age, are still involved in church. Of these 1,000, 20 to 29-year-old evangelicals who attended church regularly but no longer do so, 95% of them attend church regularly during their elementary and middle school years. 55% attended church regularly during their high school years. And of the 1,000, only 11% were still going to church during their early college years. The nation built at one time on God and God principles, called the Christian nation, I would tell you has become less Christian year by year by year. And somewhere our churches are losing them and we can't figure out where. We're we're scratching our head wondering where are they going and why are they not coming back? Truth be known, as we get further into this, we're going to find out. We're not losing them. Here's the thing, y'all, please. If you don't get anything, get this for me before you go. We're not losing them when they get to college. When they get to college, we've already lost them. There's the problem. We've already lost them. These are alarming stats, alarming numbers that are not made up. And we're hearing reports all over everywhere that says the same thing and it backs this up. 20 somethings, those in their 20s, they struggle to stay active in the Christian faith. 20% of those that are churched as a teen are still spiritually active at 29. That's hard to fathom. That is hard to fathom. Somewhere something's changed. When I was growing up in my mom and dad's house, there was never the thought that the day would come that I wasn't going to go to the Lord's house. I never thought about that. And yet, something has changed because by the time they get to 20 to 29, most of them won't come back anymore. We're doing something different. Or something else has changed. We're going to study all of these things over the next several weeks. 61% Of those churched as a teen, disengaged during their 20s. 19% that were never churched, obviously remain unchurched. Add your 19 and your 61% and that tells you about 80% of the population will not be churched in their 20s. Those who are no longer uh, active in, in the Lord's work uh, and, and no longer believe that all the accounts in the stories of the Bible are true. 39.8% first had doubts in middle school. had doubts in high school. Only 10.6 had their first doubts during college. I have been one of those that have preached many times about, uh, parents, you be careful when your kids go to college because higher education is destroying that which is being laid by churches. And according to these numbers, it's not higher education that's doing it. It is elementary school that is doing it. It is our elementary grades. That are believing that the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales. That the Bible is no longer relative. That the Bible means nothing unless you choose for it to mean something to you. In elementary, y'all. And we're wondering, where are they going? I tell a lot of people when they find out I pastor in Arkadelphia, they say, oh, that's got to be great. I said, well, why? Because you have two colleges there. And because... Arkansas is home to the largest number of ABA Missionary Baptist Churches in all the rest of the world. And I said, you're right, we are. But they don't come, to, they don't come here, do they? Now, we're thankful for those that do, but out of the thousands that are over going to school in either of the campuses, they're not coming here. And I realize there's a few of the churches that they're going to in a little bit more number, but still, there is a huge number it's not going anywhere. We're losing them. We're losing them. Or, as one of the books that I've been doing some reading and studying it says, we've already lost them. And that's what this chart shows. This this blew my mind. Out of all of those that were polled, do you consider yourself to be born again? A little over 50% said yes. little over 40% said no. And the rest of them didn't know. Are are churches doing their job when people don't even know if they're saved or not? Or flat out tell you no? Been going to church, involved in this? See, and that's the thing. All of these people were, were people that were in churches. They were, I, I, there's some, some other stats that I want to give you in the next few weeks, but these are people that were involved in youth groups. These are people that were involved in uh, all the Christian clubs at school. And yet, they don't know whether they're saved or not. And they're disconnecting with the churches. Now, of all of those that were 50% more that said that they were saved, listen to this one. The same group, over 50% said they were saved. born again, do you believe that if you are a good person, you will go to heaven? Nearly 70% said yes. Where in true churches is it being taught that being a good person will get you to heaven? Because somewhere apparently it's being taught or they're picking it up somewhere else. What scares me is only 30% said, no, that's not enough. And then a large par- or another part that said, I don't know. Of those that were polled, 20 to 29 years old, should gay couples be allowed to marry? Almost 50% said no. 40-something percent said yes. And then a small group said they don't know. What I want us to begin to see with some of this is that the climate in which you and I live has changed. When I was 20 years old, if you'd have asked me if I'd have been in this poll what I think about gay marriage, I know what my answer would have been. And I, that, that's not meant as judgmental or a lack of love or care for, the, for those that are of that persuasion, but the climate... Of our nation. Is changed y'all. People aren't sure anymore. Is this book what y'all say it is. People aren't sure anymore. About abortion. About gay marriage. And about other issues. And yet we're trying to reach them. The same way. We reach people of two and three decades ago that had a whole different mindset. Y'all, we got to change. We got to change. Now, hear me well. We don't change the message. But we have to change how we perceive Them and meet them where they are. If they don't know who God is, and you're going to start talking to them about God, they're off out in left field because they don't know if you're talking about this God, that God, that God, or the other God. You're going to you're going to talk to them about the Bible, and they're going to say, "Well, is that relative?" We have got to understand that the moral climate of our world has changed. So, what happened? Let me let me close very quickly this morning with a few thoughts. And like I said, I I really just wanted to introduce the idea that it's life or death. And faith, like all the other churches, we're going to have to decide, do 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 we identify the climate of our day? Do we stay committed to the message and yet reach them? And how do we go about doing that? So what has happened to lead us there? And there's not one answer. There's, there's no way you could sum this up in just one particular answer. But let me, let me get you to think about a few things with me, if you will. Since I came here as your pastor, I'll meet people. Yeah, I used to go down to that church. You get that all the time. And I said, well, yeah, I, I, I visited there one time. I visited back in such and such year. Uh, is Brother Troy Keaton still there? He, he and a couple of the other deacons, they came in by and visited me after I visited there. I get that a lot. Brother Troy, you've you visited apparently a lot of people down through the years. You and, and some of the other guys here. I, I hear that a lot. Now, here's the thing, all right? Does the old Thursday night visitation program work anymore? And the answer is what? Absolutely not. I agree with you. It won't work. Most people, you show up at their house unannounced, you go to beating on the door, especially after the sun's gone down, you, you just open yourself up for no telling what. All right? Not necessarily dangerous, but, you know, it's just, it's a different world, a different climate. Because of the violence in the world, people don't want you beating on their door, especially after the sun's gone down and they not know who you are. The old Thursday night visitation program doesn't work, but let me ask you this question, and let me ask you to consider this honestly. What did we replace it with? You see what's happened in in, in our churches? We said, that don't work, so we quit doing anything. And let me tell you, that don't work either, does it? Where is our connection to the lost world? We can't quit visitation and not replace it with other means of staying plugged into the world and yet that's happened we are so uh, so prone and i understand it i'm not griping at us but what i'm saying is we get so prone to just like the rest of the world because the world in which we live in we we kind of want to just withdraw and stay in our our area of security and safety and and with our own friends that are of like mindset with us and and we've become disconnected from the world remember what Jesus said if Jesus said I wanted you to be disconnected from the world I'd pray to the father take you out of the world but he said I pray father not to take them out of the world why you take Christians out of the world and you're not going to see very many Christians made in the world anymore I mean that's just the way it is you know why I became a Christian because another Christian shared the gospel message with me you take that other Christian out of the equation and it's not likely I'm going to become a Christian so whatever we do over the next few weeks, we have got to figure out what can we replace visiting with. I know that don't work. I'm not saying let's go back to it. But we can't quit doing anything. We've got to, as Paul told Timothy, do your duty. So what else has happened? We have gotten to the point where, and I hear this a lot, I invited them to church. I want you to invite people to church. Please invite everybody you get a chance to go to church. But would you please be honest enough to understand that inviting somebody to come to your church is not the same thing as witnessing them about Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. Do you see the difference there? It's easy. Hey, it's not a problem at all. I understand it. It's easy to walk up to Stuart one day and say, Stuart, hey, would you like to come to our church? That doesn't take a whole lot of of gumption. It doesn't take a whole lot of bravery. But it's a whole other matter to walk up to Stuart and say, Stuart, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Would you mind if I share? Are you interested in spiritual things? Uh, Could I share with you about heaven? That's a whole other conversation, isn't it? That's a lot more difficult discussion to have. But we've we've gotten to the point where we want to invite people to church, but that's not the same thing as witnessing to people. So we've got to change that. What's happened? We've replaced visiting with what? We, We invite people to come to our church, but that's not the same as witnessing. And then what else has happened is, as I mentioned, the baseline of America has changed. Those of you that were here Wednesday night, I told you the story. That very day, that afternoon, I was walking into Baptist Hospital, and there was a woman that pulled up and got out of a flower van. She was carrying flowers in for somebody, and I held the door for her, and we struck up a conversation. She happened to be going back to the same part of the hospital I was, so we walked all the way down the hall talking to each other, and she said uh, something about uh delivering and i said well i pastor a church in arkadelphia she said what church i said faith missionary baptist church uh over on walnut street she said well i I used i graduated from henderson state i said really she said yeah we talked a little bit about her time in arkadelphia and, and she asked me how long I'd been here. I said, well, I accepted, and I made sure to stress it. I accepted pastorate of Faith Missionary Baptist Church about five years ago. I, I pastored there, been there ever since, love it, you know, love Arkadelphia. I wanted her to, you know, hear two or three times that I was pastor. And here's what she said after all this. She said, is that Exxon Station still up there by Sonic? I said, well, yeah. She said, man, I've been in that store a lot of times. So I said, Really? She said, yeah, she said, my mama gave me a credit card, and that's where I'd go buy kegs all the time. And I thought, the baseline of our society has changed. But there was a time when I didn't drink a whole keg, but there was a time when I did drinking as a kid. But if you think I was going to stand there and tell a Baptist preacher that I went and bought kegs there, you're crazy. I'm not doing it. Why? The baseline of America back then was different Than the baseline of the America we live in today. You'd be surprised. No you probably wouldn't. I was. For a while. Our churches are filled with members. Whose baseline has changed. Most of them see no problem with drinking. Or doing drugs. Or having extramarital affairs. And doing these things. Y'all. If the baseline, if the world, predominant world view, of the of the world we're trying to interact with has changed so drastically, obviously we're going to have to change. I remember here a while back I was talking to a young person. I said something about accepting Christ and uh, and and our Father in Heaven, and boy, their eyes got that big around. They were scared to death. And I thought, what a strange response. Till I found out this child was being beaten by his father. And it suggests another father figure in his life brought fear into his heart. I'm telling you, the baseline of our nation has changed. I'm not saying that there wasn't kids beaten back in our day. But it certainly was not as common practice as it is now. Things have changed. And we've stayed stuck in. I can't believe I'm saying this. I told my wife I was going to preach this message. She said, you have got to be kidding me. This goes against everything I've ever heard out of you. I am missionary Baptist, Brother Troy. Cut me and I will bleed missionary Baptist. But I'm telling you, we can't stay in our old archaic missionary Baptist ways of doing it in a world that had that view when our world has a completely different view. It's the same message. It doesn't take away from sin. Matter of fact, it's going to refocus on sin. It doesn't take away from the blood of Christ. It refocuses on that. It doesn't take away from the Word of God. It refocuses on the Word of God. But we can't keep doing the old thing when the old thing doesn't work anymore and it's because the baseline of America has changed. We've got to make some changes. So that's what's happened. So what do we do now? Well, I think it has to start with an honest assessment. An honest assessment that says, God, as David did, search me. Try me. Sift through every nook and cranny of my being. An honest assessment, God. And you can answer this for yourself, and this is part of that honest assessment. It has been blank since I personally attempted to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with somebody. Not it's been blank since I invited somebody to church. But it has been blank long since I have literally sat down or standing, whatever. Tried to share Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins with somebody. I, I don't know. The, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know how long it's been. You may say, well, it was just yesterday. But I'm afraid that many of our church members would have to say, I'm not even sure the last time that it was. An honest assessment. God, are we doing our duty? Y'all, we can sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. And when all of God's sinners get home, and amazing grace. And we can smile and we can put on our Sunday go to meeting and we can shake hands. And but Christ sent us into a world with a message. And he even gave the apostles the common sense to know that when you're talking to this group, you present the same message this way. When you talk to this group, you present the message. It's the same message, but you present it this way. But either way, go present the message. I, I would ask us this morning, what do we do now? We, we've got to start with an honest assessment. Are we doing our duty a genuine repentance if we're not? And I mean genuine God, forgive me. I I shudder to think how many people in just a one-week time that he sets before me and would open the door to share the gospel. But I'm so busy in my own world that I don't do it. we got to quit the old, all oh, shucks, I'll do better. <laughs> and fall on our face before God. Say, God, I have sinned. I have been disobedient to you. Because you know, Father, it's been this long since I've even dared. So what do we do now? make an honest assessment, a genuine repentance, and a serious request. God, help me. Help me see. Help me be bold. Help me have that desire, that burden in my heart. Father, help me. Say, so, well, I would have shared in the last year, but I hadn't had any opportunities. Well, I got that covered for you, too. The Bible says you have not. Why? You didn't ask. God opened the door. I dare say there's probably not a handful of people, at least just immediately, that quick of, that you can think of, of people that you suspect doesn't know Christ as their personal Savior. a serious request and finally a commitment to the message with a perhaps modified delivery these are important paul knew his audience peter knew his audience and so they they fine-tuned the same message in both messages but they fine-tuned it to meet that audience Y'all, if, if we're going to live among a world of people that doesn't believe that this book is the only book of, you know, of, of, of relativity, then we gotta, we're going to have to understand that going into this thing. We're going to have to understand that you can't just say God and assume that they all believe in the Judeo-Christian God. This became very clear to me when I was pastoring in even a smaller community than Archadelphia. And assumed that everybody in that community at least knew of God. Until I started finding out that there was covens of Wiccans, witches and warlocks, Satan worshipers. And a host of people that when you said God, they looked at you like, which one are you talking about? And that was back in the 90s. In a smaller, more rural setting than Archadelphia. We've got to know where people are. So we've asked what happened. We asked what we didn't do now. And I want to close with just this very quickly. So, what happens if we don't do those things? Fair question, isn't it? What happens if we don't? commit to the message in a modified way what happens if we don't make this assessment what happens if we just smile and and pretend that everything's okay yet when god is convicting us and we need to make some change what happens if we don't do a thing and the first answer is this it's quite simple we die it's i I don't mean to paint it worse than it is but it's quite simple if we don't reach the world for christ We're not producing babies to keep up with the ones that we're losing to age. And the younger couples are looking at me like, don't you dare ask us to produce babies like that. (laughs) We have got to, y'all, or we are going to sit here and die. And here's the thing, yes the world's changed but Paul said the word has never been bound. It's not bound today and it never will be bound. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but my word will abide forever. It's not that I'm telling you let's go away from the message but just get back involved with the message and understand we may have to do some things a little different. What happens if we don't? It's very simple. We die. What happens if we don't? Well, it's quite sad. God's kingdom work will go undone. It's just that simple. Yes, Jesus said, the rocks will cry out if you don't. But yet, Jesus chose the disciples, not the rocks. So what happens if we don't? Well, this is quite alarming, and if you think it's bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because if we don't, society is going to continue to decay. How much has it changed in the last 20 years? Just why is it different now than it was 20 years ago? Not even. But Dave, sometimes I don't think I live in the same world I used to live in. Another 20 years from now, the brakes are pulled off even more and we continue to withdraw and more of our churches die and the less Christian influence there is and you will see society decay and plummet even faster than she is now. Because the answer to a decaying society always has been, always will be, Jesus Christ. Not bills, not laws, not politics but Jesus Christ you may not agree with everything you may think I'm crazy or whatever but the proof's in the pudding when's the last time we saw people saved at this church and baptized when's the last time we fell on our face and said God We've let you down. We've not done our duty. We've withdrawn from the world. We quit visiting because it didn't work, but we didn't replace it with anything else. We thought as long as every now and then, we said, would you come to my church? We were okay. We have to. We have to do our duty. And we have to seek God's blessings upon it. And if we don't, we won't be here very long. Let's stand and prepare for a verse of invitation. Father, these are not easy things to consider. They're not easy things to say. They're not easy things to hear. Generally, things that convict us are that way. It's not that the heart of these people and myself as their pastor is uncaring and unloving. Father, over time, we watched as what used to work was no longer working and so we quit that and that's, that's understandable. But we didn't look for new areas, new, new ways to serve you. Father, our Sunday school departments, we, we, we've worried about enjoying and fun and coloring and we're not teaching to the depth that we need to so we're losing them by the time they get into middle school and high school they're already having serious doubts as to whether the bible is even true father we live in an ever-changing climate but we know that you change not we know that your word is not bound we know that we have a duty if I've said things too harsh or incorrect, or then Father, I ask that you'd forgive me for that, but I pray that we would honestly consider where we're at right now in this world and in our duty to you. Father, help us. We need you. Forgive us if we failed you. And we ask these things in your precious name.